welcome to the podcast that takes a light-hearted look at lesser-known London stories with your own personal blue badge professional tourist guides. She's Fiona. And she's Alex. And this is the Ladies in London podcast. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Fiona. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Oh, well, I'm my... My cold's becoming a cough, but um, apart from that, <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> so if I, you know, disappear, I might be just muting while I cough violently. But it's um, going the right way, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, how are you? Oh, I'm well, thank you. I'm well, full of the joys of spring. Good. Um, although I'm, I love, I love autumn. Yeah, it's gone cold, and I love it. I yeah. Oh, so the joys of autumn. Your your. Yeah, yes. actually, yeah, the joys of autumn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it when it gets cold. I don't know. I just that's my that's my natural habitat. So and it's, I'm very happy. When it's sunny, it's so beautiful oh, in the sun. And gorgeous. late afternoon, I just oh, I love it. And I yeah. I took a photo of St. Paul's the other day. I was like, I know I've taken this photo a million times before. I'm gonna take it again anyway, because it's yeah. I just can't not. It's so lovely. Yeah. Aww. So yay for this time of year. Um, I know some people hate this time of year, but I absolutely love it. So anyway, well, this week we had a um, a trip out. Well, I say we, yeah, you didn't come, did you? <laughs> no. no, rubbish, Fiona. Up, up, no. Just up to my ears in housework and cold on Monday night. So yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did I did message her on Monday nights uh, saying, are you coming? She's like, oh, oh completely oh. forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Whoops, never mind. <laughs> but anyway, we went to the Imperial War Museum for a talk uh, on Noor Inayat Khan by... Now, I've, I've always pronounced her name Shrabani Basu, but apparently it's Shrabani Basu. Okay. Um, and so we had a talk about Noor by her, and then she was signing books and things. And then we went for a tootle around the Spies, Lies and Deception exhibition. Yeah. Which is excellent. Yeah. Um, and there was a lovely little group of six of us. Very nice. So hello to everyone who came. And then we went to the pub. Very good. And, uh, as all... And heard all about uh, one of our number sneaking their way into Bob Geldof's bedroom, Ooh. which was an exciting story. Um, so if you want stories like that, come oh, to the okay. Ladies Who London meetups. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was lovely. It was really good. It was lovely to see everyone and, and great to hear a chat about um, a lady that, that is so dear to us. Really. Yeah. Very good. I'm, I'm sorry I missed it. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's Life been, gets in the it way. It does indeed. Worry. And the last last kind of three weeks or so have been completely full on with the house, but actually because we're physically doing stuff. So it also feels like we're making progress. We've got Yay! most of the painting upstairs done. We've got two thirds of the floor down. So it's all fantastic. This is great. Yes. Good news. Yes. This is what we like. Yeah. Exciting. Well, before we go into the podcast, um, a little shout out to one of our listeners and friends and colleagues, actually, who yes. got in touch, uh, Adrienne. Uh, hello, Adrienne. Hello. Who got in touch to say, have you ever done anything on um, the Romans in London? And it occurred to us that no, we No, I, I sort of thought, oh yeah, you must have done. And I looked back through the thing. I was like, oh, oh maybe mm -hmm. you haven't. No. We just yeah. dived in with the Saxons. No. Yeah. And we should say, and this is completely throwing Adrienne under the bus, but what Adrienne doesn't know about the Romans isn't worth knowing. So do you want to come on and guest, Adrienne? I have emailed her about this, but I haven't heard back yet. See, um, do you want to come and guest? This is the difference. I emailed and said, oh, exciting. And I didn't invite because I thought, oh, no, I better, I better check with Alex first. Whereas Alex just went, yeah, come and do a pod. So just to confirm, Adrienne, yes, come. I'm, I'm keen too. No, no, yes. it's good. Come and come and join us for an episode. It'd be lovely to have you. Um, yeah, we haven't done very much. That's, that's a, yeah, an oversight, really. Um, there we go. Uh, we had some lovely uh, feedback from our Joseph Sellis e episode from last week. Hope you all had a lovely Halloween as well. Um, and I'm still amazed that, that they let people go in to have a look at the murder scene. <laughs> it's just still completely baffles me. Um, I mean, the whole the whole going in yeah. to look at a royal palace while the royals are living in it thing as well is quite like i mean they, they did that surprisingly early uh, when well elizabeth I, if she wasn't at whitehall you could go and look at her bathroom in whitehall really so yeah i mean not like not like they do at buckingham palace now with just the state rooms but actually yeah. her her rooms as you well. don't get to go and uh, have a nose with the queen's undercrackers do you anymore you don't um sadly the boy jones would very much yeah <laughs> Always bring it back. Always bring it back. That's oh, what we like. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, any other I, parish notices before we get into the podcast? I don't 
think so. No, I'm I'm no been no. again hectic week, so I still feel we're not quite on top of. But you know, we're getting there. oh the blog, blog from last week needs doing, mm. but oh well, last episode needs doing. But I think actually the the blog from the episode before might not be up yet either. So I'm I'm oh. gonna just go and check. Have a, have a rummage. Okay, apologies for that. If you were yeah, blog, for... blogs will catch up. Normal Sporting service will images. be resumed. <laughs> maybe never um yeah <laughs> i love that we're just so chaotic about it and we're like we know that that's our mo now um that's 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 us hey it's fine uh wonderfully well, anyway we want to disappoint by over promising well this is it this is it so... well, well under over delivering you mean <laughs> we very no, much no, 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 no. we can under promise and over deliver oh okay. and then that's good we're over delivering if very, we actually yeah, do fair. something Absolutely. It's over delivery. People are like, oh, we've actually done something. Oh, it's a pod. <laughs> right. Well, right. let's get on into so, this week's episode. Now, this is a, yes. uh, this is a really interesting one. Well, I found it really, really interesting. And it's not where I started. So Fiona and I had a little meeting last week just to do a bit of planning and a bit of, you know, thinking about the pod. And um, I put down that this week I was going to do uh, the Penicillin Girls. Now... Very excitingly. And I've, I found out about them, interestingly, from going to um, the National Portrait Gallery the other week. Oh, yeah. And I wandered into a room and uh, there was a picture of Alexander Fleming in there, who mm-hmm. we will come to. Yeah. And next to him was a, a couple of portraits and it said members of the Penicillin Girls. And I was like, brilliant. Ooh. This is up my up my alley. Yeah. Um, and then when I went to research, I found the sum total of about a paragraph of information on them. <laughs> but, okay, talk, talk slowly, talk slowly. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> this podcast this week, gang, is 10 minutes long. Um, but then have uh, whilst looking at that, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole into somebody else who I found incredibly interesting. So th- this podcast has, has kind of become the story around the finding and the development of penicillin because I don't think it's a story that people really know and it is much more fascinating than I ever would have thought and the person that I got really excited about is a chap called Norman Heatley and you'll find out why well I hope you'll find I hope you'll think he's as fascinating as I did um and he sort of as I was reading just kept coming out of of the woodwork as just this fascinating guy who actually had a massive role to play in the development of penicillin so um and, and not not a name I know certainly no exactly guessing, and in fact I'm guessing a lot of the known. names well no no not really um I mean he when he died his obituary was in the Guardian which um I've you know I've read and it is is a very interesting um obituary but um yeah not a kind of widely known name and I think you know if you say to anybody penicillin what's the name they say Fleming Fleming exactly uh, Fleming uh was it Alexander Fleming? Alexander yeah. Fleming. I, yeah. I have a, I should uh, conf- confess an allegiance, well, a very minor allegiance that um, at school, secondary school, though it was in the city comprehensive, we did have houses and I was mm-hmm. in Fleming. Ah. I, don't, I don't think we learned anything about him at Fine. all. So Was the one of the other houses Hartley at least? Were they all different no, members of the... No, no, no. Oh. no. Um, Newton, Drake, Hillary. Oh, the big lads. Weird mix. Yeah. You know, I guess they're the they're the headline acts, aren't they? Really, they're yeah, the ones the crowd really, comes for. I mean, Newton, yes, Drake. I mean, but they're sort of. I mean, two scientists, two explorers. Yeah, uh, but, uh, I mean, it's like I always struck me as slightly odd. Yeah, but I right, suspect but, if you look at one of those sort of dreadfully base kind of um, reviews of oh, who's the who's the greatest Britain? They're probably up there, aren't they? Those four. They'll be mentioned. I'm, yeah, but they wouldn't be top of the list, would they? Well, they'd be up there, I think. Yeah, okay. Just just due to knowledge about them, really, more than any. Anyway, yeah. Whatever, anyway I digress. Yeah. I digress. Um, so thinking about penicillin, uh, it, it is what I find interesting is that today it, it we take it so for granted, completely for granted. Um, you've got the and they they do talk about how people always go to the doctor and, and sort of demand antibiotics and they really yeah. um, push back against it because, you know, your body can come, become resistant to it. But it's such a thing that we're used to. And I, I, you will find out during this uh, podcast why you should always finish a course of antibiotics. Ah, 
And that's something uh, we all want to know because do, do yeah. we all? Do we? When I, they say keep going, even I'm though a you're good better. Girl. I always do. I was yeah. well. There's a reason for it. And if the, if this podcast does nothing else, it's going to make you you do the entire course of antibiotics next time you have them. But it, it basically is a bit of a miracle drug, and it's really hard to think now that generations before uh, penicillin. So penicillin comes in in the mid ninety well nineteen forty four ish. So okay. mid-war, basically. And and I don't... I've just realised, I don't know. Is penicillin the first antibiotic? I guess... Yes. 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 It is. Yes. Okay. It is the first antibiotic. So it's, well, it's... Uh, yeah, well, so there's one There's one that was sort of developed a little bit before, but uh, that, that only really treated syphilis. So I don't know if you can... <laughs> I know. Okay. Which is... <laughs> useful, but... <laughs> uh, useful for certain people. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that is classed as a as a as a, a, a an antibiotic or not. So uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to say yes. Okay, I'll um, go with of that. Of course, not the only one now, but um, no. very much a wonder drug. And and it's amazing how much was lethal. You know, if you got an infection, yeah, a lot of the time it was lethal. Um, infections were feared as much as cancer and heart disease are today. And I I did read a statistic that said that if you went into a septic ward with an infection your chance of coming out alive was about 50%. Wow. Which actually, I'm surprised it was that low, to be honest, because, you know, infections are pretty horrific and they act very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, th- this is something that people were were deathly afraid of and you could get it from the smallest cut, um, you know, anything really, which yeah. is, that is quite scary. That is mind-boggling thinking, yeah. trying to think that, you know. Yeah. That today that doesn't really bother us, but... Um, but back in the day, yeah, that could be a real, a real issue. And we'll, we'll come to someone for whom that was a real issue. Uh, so before we get to penicillin, um, I have to point out, there was a chap called Paul Ehrlich, who at the beginning of the 20th century had been beavering around looking for some kind of chemical that would kill a microorganism, mm-hmm. but leave the host unaltered. And he was referring to this as the magic bullet. Um, and he also comes up, interestingly, with the term chemotherapy. Ah, okay. Because... It just means uh, sort of therapy or medicine through a chemical, right? Which I hadn't quite twigged. So when I was going through chemo, I, I was I was always amazed because you know people with all sorts of different cancers or even the same cancer that I had um, would be on different chemotherapies, and you think, oh, that's interesting. And of course, chemotherapy literally just means a therapy through chemicals. Yeah, which is almost all medicine, actually, in a way. I suppose, but, yeah, but, um, yeah. Well, um, is it? Because I, go, I guess the chemotherapy is, is to, to kill something specific. Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm going to preface this entire podcast by saying <laughs> I am not a scientist, as you can probably tell. Um, and if I go too deep into the woods <laughs> on what what exactly is happening scientifically, I get myself in a hell of a pickle. So um, <laughs> there, there might be things that I'm just like, mah, 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 um, in this, but. That's yeah. We're gonna go with it. Yeah, so anyway, okay. he found he found this uh, a particular drug that worked against syphilis that I mentioned, um, but despite decades of, of research since, nothing had been found that could do anything else. Um, so yeah, there we go. And then the whole story about penicillin being found is quite a romantic one, in that it, it takes on that sort of legendary or mythical status of it being a happy accident, and yeah. there is an element of that that's true. So Alexander Fleming. Now I should also say that penicillin the production and development of it was take take took place in oxford so our link to this today as being a london thing is a bit um vague and it's basically because alexander fleming found uh penicillin for the first time in london in in paddington Mm -hmm. st mary's hospital yeah um and the story goes that he returns from a holiday and he has left out some petri dishes and he starts sorting through them they had staphylococcus uh, colonies on them um which is a horrible bacteria that causes sore throats and abscesses and things like that and on one of the dishes and i, I did manage to find a picture of the dish Ooh. actually um that he'd taken um he so check out the the um blog this week for that yeah. he saw that there was uh, all the different colonies were growing but one area there was no colony because there was a bit of mold that was growing and the area directly around the mold um, was completely clear. So it, it looked like the mould was giving off something that, that was killing or at least stopping the bacterial growth. And later they, they realised this was uh, Penicillin notatum, uh, which is uh, it was quite a rare strain of that. Mm. 
So now the story, the story sort of says that, oh, he, he went off on holiday and left his window open and the dishes out on the table and some spores floated in and, and dropped on the Petri dishes. Now, I've also, I, I should also say, I, um, in order to do this, the research for this podcast, I took out a free, admittedly, okay. um, subscription to The Lancet. <laughs> So how long are you I'm, signed I'm, up I'm, for? You've got a year. Uh, it's 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 just a free thing, luckily, because uh, nobody needs. One. Yeah. So if anyone's got anything they want looking at, I'm now a medicine uh, medicine professional. Okay, I won't, I'm not going to book. That's what they to call go them. to my GP. I'm yeah. just going to come to you now. Just, just come here. It's fine. It's fine. I'll take a look. Um, so anyway, there were yeah, there were some articles in the Lancet going. Come on, this is ridiculous. Like he he was a a, a biochemist. He was not going to just leave out random petri dishes and his window open yeah um and what it's thought what, what they do know is that um they used to leave their doors open of the labs and apparently there was another guy who was working on asthma and his door was open as well and they think the spores might have come in from there whatever but we're pretty sure it didn't sort of float in generously on a on a, oh, no. a welcome breeze that kind of thing right exactly. i always got the impression yeah he had sort of like you know old old mugs lying around and things as well he was a bit messy but again i don't that might just be part of the kind of the myth well, if he had the old mugs lying around you know if you do that and they, they go a bit furry he might have found he, penicillin he earlier might. well yeah <laughs> so, so anyway not that i have mugs that sit around going furry you understand um yeah just occasionally you miss one anyway yeah. uh, <laughs> don't judge me um so after <laughs> after he isolated the the mold from it and identified it, he managed to figure out that the penicillin had an antibacterial effect on the Staphylococcus and other things. And he publishes his findings in 1929, and he tries to purify it and extract something from it that is usable. And in fact, he even says, "I am unable to purify." stabilize and concentrate this juice uh, and that's not much use it, it can't be given to patients like that yeah. um and he, he tries a few things but ultimately it doesn't really work and for almost a decade no progress at all is made in isolating yeah. penicillin okay as a compound that can be used but what Fleming does do in that time is having published his paper and, and I should say so when we think about penicillin being found we think that immediately everyone is like oh my god this is amazing and it, it goes straight into production and whatever it's yeah. actually not at all and you'd think people would dash to do stuff yeah and but they don't necessarily realize the uh, implications or the the uses it, it can be put to immediately so it's about 10 years so people kind of look at his his findings, the report that he's published, and go, oh, that's kind of interesting. And it sort of stays there. Yeah. But he does say, look, if anybody wants, send me, you know, send me your address and I will send the penicillin mould to anybody who wants it. <laughs> and you can have a go. Like, go and okay. have, a, have a rummage, yeah. see what you can do. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, well, he's quite generous of That's him. good, because he could easily have not done that. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, that's that sounds like um, Tim Berners-Lee and the, and the web. Hmm. You know, just have, take it. Yeah. Do good with go, it. Go, go. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tick. Tick um, for Fleming on that. Tick for Fleming. Count. Absolutely. And, and quite a few people do and they, you know, they, they request the mould and he sends it out. Um, but nothing really happens with this until about eight or nine years later. And we now switch over to Oxford. And in Oxford University, there is a biochemist uh, called Ernst Chain. Now, he's an interesting chap as well. He'd fled Nazi Germany um, in earlier in the 30s. Mm -hmm. And he'd arrived in Oxford and had been invited to work at the university at the Sir William Dunn School of Pathology within Oxford University. And mm -hmm. he, having doing some research and this, that and the other, he comes across Fleming's article on penicillin. And his supervisor is a chap called Howard Florey. Now, Howard Florey is somebody that, I don't know if you mentioned, I mentioned when we're in Westminster Abbey. Yeah, Because absolutely. his memorial plaque is there. Yeah. Um, and Howard Florey is basically his boss. And so um, Ernst Chain goes to him and says, look, why don't we try and isolate the compound? Now, this, this is where, as luck would have it, um, Florey's predecessor had actually written to Fleming for one of these sample strains of penicillin. Uh so they had it yeah. in Oxford. They had it in the lab. They'd saved it, which is very handy. So he didn't really need to do much, just go down and find it. And so Howard Florey assembles a team in 1939. And he includes in this a, a guy who um, I've already mentioned, Norman Heatley, yep. who is a fungal expert. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
worried, wouldn't you, if your, your partner was a, a fungal expert? <laughs> Everybody's coming over. Like, Have you washed your hands? Have you washed your hands? Come up, come up and see my mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, this is going bad places. Um. Anyway, before this gets too out of hand. <laughs> um. Interestingly, Ernst Chain is is the one who had suggested that Norman Heatley even be interviewed for his position at Oxford, which is prior to all of this. Um, he'd come across him and gone, oh, I think he's a he's, he's a good lad and had suggested to Flory to interview him. So Norman Heatley had been at Oxford for a few years and um, Norman scoops him into this uh, project. And Heatley is incredibly crucial to all of this. I mentioned earlier that I've, I've, I've you know, newfound love of this man. Yeah, I think so you've amazing. got a bit of a crush, I think. Well, professional crush, professional, I think, was it safe to say. Yeah. Um, now... The it took several years of trial and error, and quite quite painful trial and error as well. <laughs> there was a lot of of mistakes and things that didn't didn't work. Yeah, um, trying to extract pure penicillin from this from the this mold, and eventually they managed it. And it the process was laborious and massively inefficient, but but it worked. Okay, um, and it worked because of Norman Heatley, and he created a machine called a counter current machine. Right now, because I don't really understand sciencey things i'm going to read you the um uh, the quote of what what it did okay so it said he then suggested a procedure for extracting from organic solvents in which penicillin was soluble a stable salt that was soluble in water all the s's this procedure formed the basis of an early counter current distribution apparatus which heatley designed and built and basically it was a device that would automatically extract penicillin yeah um now, my favourite thing about this, and one of the, the reasons I, I think Heatley is absolutely brilliant, is he is such a, a doer and he if he needs something, he'll make it and he'll make it out of whatever is lying around. Uh-huh. And he often would go and, and literally rummage in the rubbish dumps around Oxford to find bits and pieces okay. that he could use in whatever contraption he was creating. Um, and in fact, this counter current machine was made from an, uh, I'm going to quote again, yep. all the the bits so that I don't get anything wrong here. The oak bookcase discarded by the Bodleian Library, <laughs> more places, glass tubing, mostly fashioned by him, okay. an old doorbell to signal when a bottle was empty or full, coloured warning lights, nozzles, copper cooling coils and multiple junctions. Oh, and. In the 1980s... I was going to say, this sounds completely Heath Robinson. It's it's exactly that. It 100% is that. Um, And in fact, he sort of Heath Robinson's a whole heap of stuff throughout just this very project. But uh, later on, I'll I'll read a bit from his um, obituary, which which tells us a bit about that. But in the 80s, the Science Museum went to him and said, can you build a replica of it? Because there was nothing left of the original one. And he found it a lot more expensive um, to, to put together than the original. And and they asked him, you know, he, he, well, he was quoted as saying, rubbish dumps aren't what they were in the 1940s. Ooh, no. <laughs> so it sounds like he's still gone to the rubbish dumps, you know, and still had a good rummage through. And, I uh, mean, if you if you knock one up in an Ikea cabinet, would that, would that work as well as a bookcase from the Bodleian? Surely not. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if, if it needs to be oak and needs to be historic. I don't know. Uh, but anyway so they they eventually get enough to to start animal trials yeah um and on the 25th of may 1939 they injected eight mice with um a pretty horrible strain of streptococcus and then four of the mice they kept as a control and four of the mice they treated with penicillin um And we have a diary entry from Heatley about this. And he says, after supper with some friends, I returned to the lab and met the professor to give a final dose of penicillin to two of the mice. The controls were looking very sick, but the two treated mice seemed very well. I stayed at the lab until 3.45am, by which time all four control animals were dead. And then he goes on to say, it really looked as if penicillin may be of practical importance. And then a lovely little note in his diary afterwards, he he, he goes home and realises that in his... You know, in, in trying to get out in the morning, he'd managed to put his underpants on back. <laughs> just fantastic. Just a fantastic little note in, in his diary, which is, is absolutely wonderful. Excellent. Um, and so the next morning, of course, all these control mice were dead, as I mentioned. Yeah. The treated mice were still alive and thriving. And Ernst Chains, literally, he says the results are a miracle. Yeah. And the team publishes their findings in The Lancet in 1940. And there is huge interest in it. And... 
we've talked about Alexander Fleming and he is not coming up again in this entire story except for right now. This is the last time we'll hear uh, okay, about him. Fine. When the team publishes its results, yep. uh, Fleming telephones Flory and he says, oh, I'm going to come and visit in the next couple of oh, days. Okay. And Fleming gets off the phone and he goes to Ernst Chain and he says, you know, guess who's coming? Fleming. And Ernst Chain goes, good God, I thought he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> so literally that's, that's the extent of Alexander Fleming's contribution to yeah. penicillin, which, is, it, it, you know, it's, well, and again. So how, does, we'll f- how does he get all the credit then? Ah, well, you might have to wait and find out for that. Ah, okay. So there's massive interest in all of this um, and they need to start producing it because you, in order, they need to start out human trials, essentially. And what you need uh, to try it on a man is 3,000 times what you need to try it on a mouse. So production's basically got to go up 3,000 fold. Yeah. And it's seriously slow and gallons of mold broth is needed just to produce one little bit of penicillin. And it's interesting. So I keep I keep reading mold broth, right? Yeah. And I have not been able to find out what is in this broth. And if anyone out there knows, please let me know. I mean, you would assume when you're making medicines and things that it would be something chemical, but it can't be because we know that penicillin grows on you know, a fusty old apple in the, in the fruit bowl. We, you know, yeah. it's... So I don't know if it was just literally chicken broth or... <laughs> I, I, I genuinely don't know, but it was just yeah. called mold broth or mold juice, as they a lot of them Ooh, called it. Oh, even nicer. The mold <laughs> juice. Yeah, every mm. morning cornflakes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I genuinely don't know what was in the mold broth, but uh, if anyone is able to find yeah. out, let me know. Uh, it might just be that I was rubbish at finding anything. Um... So in order to ramp up the production, uh, they're going to need lots and lots of this of this broth to basically grow the penicillin on. Yep. And Heatley goes, right, well, we need anything we can get our hands on to keep the broth in. And he, again, he goes back to the rubbish dumps around Oxford. He finds some vessels on there. And he what he realises is that the bedpans from the Royal Infirmary in Oxford were actually the best thing. Now, the bedpans at the oh. time were, um, had a lid on them. They don't, they didn't, they were actually changing over at the time to being the more open ones that we know today. But right. at the time they had a lid on, which is what he needed. Um, he could only get 16 of them. Okay. So they started using any old thing they could find. I mean, literally bathtubs, milk churns, biscuit tins to store the broth in. And <laughs> when you sort of think, you need a lot of broth to do yes. this. You think, well, chuck it in um, a, a vat. Yes, something. I was picturing enormous vats, like sort of brewing tanks mm. and things. Actually, that's but, not what you need because it doesn't matter how much broth you've got. The penicillin's only going to grow on top. Ah, uh, so you need a big so surface actually, area. Big surface area, something yeah. shallow. Um, right. There's no point having a massive vat because you're only going to get whatever yeah, 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 yeah. the space at the top is. Like, like, um, the, like all the, the ponds around... Rather high, the Surrey docks that were floating yeah. water. I mean, they they floated timber yeah. on top of them, so they were big flat ponds rather than deep docks. Some of them, exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah. yeah, it's that exact same thing, really. I mean, slightly different use, but yeah, yeah. Um, and so he he was using all this stuff, and actually, that he was going round to different grocers and going, can, "Have you got any biscuit tins I can have that you don't <laughs> want or need?" And, and somebody points him the direction of what I think was a biscuit factory, um, and he went round there and they gave him a whole heap of stuff as well. Okay, um, but he thought actually what we need is something specific, and he needed fermentation vessels. Yeah. Now the thought was that they could make them in glass, but it was prohibitively expensive. And it, it, in fact, they got a quote from one of the glass makers. I think it was Pyrex actually. Um, and the, just the upfront quote was 500 pounds, which was a huge amount of money yeah. back then. Yeah. And that was just money that the lab didn't have. So he went up to the potteries mm-hmm. and he approached a firm called James McIntyre's with a very odd request. And he said to them, right, this is what I need. I need a shallow rectangular vessel about two pints in capacity. Mm-hmm. It's got to be glazed inside. It's got to have a spout. Yeah. And it's got to be done quite fast. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do you think? Um, and the firm was perfectly equipped to do this. And they, they said, yeah, absolutely. And they started creating prototypes. Uh, and Norman Hartley goes back up and he checks out the prototypes. And one is almost perfect. And I say almost perfect. I, I've read a report that he gets his pen knife out and cuts into it what he needs. I don't know what he cut into it, but apparently he's literally like, oh yeah, great, we'll just do this, that and the other, and there we go. And to give you an example of what it looks like, and again, we'll pop a picture on the on the blog. 
Um, I have two very niche re- references for you. <laughs> right. So <laughs> if you have a tumble dryer that is a condensing tumble dryer. Yeah. Uh, with the caveat that they might or not all be like mine. So if you've got one like mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> very, very what, niche. Um, what model have you got there? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> when my tumble dryer fills up with water, um, I take off the, the bit, thing at the bottom and I pull out... Um, a thing that looks like a, a sort of a, 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 a petrol canister, but on its side. So it's wide and flat, uh-huh. um, almost like a tray shape, yes. but filled with water. Okay, yep. And so it's a bit like that. The other thing is, if anyone's come and done one of my walking tours with me, they'll have seen me drinking from my flat water bottle. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which is basically a rectangle, and then the the mouthpiece at the, at the top corner... Um, and that's pretty much what it looks like, except the spout is at a bit of an angle. It's kind of like a on... like a, a hardback book with a spout at one corner, kind of. Yeah. Ish. Then. Yeah. That sort would of that, thing. Yeah. Yeah, that would. Um, and, I'm and not, so that, I'm yeah, not saying so... books are any more universal than your tumble dryer, <laughs> <laughs> but you know. <laughs> what make of book is it that you've got? Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me find an edition for you. <laughs> um. Yeah, so basically it's like that with with the spark coming off the corner at a bit of an angle, and and he he found he says that's absolutely brilliant. Um, the trick is that they they're a bit slow to make; they take eighteen days. Okay. Um, but they only cost seven shillings and sixpence. Ooh. So it's a massive saving. Yeah. Um, on the five hundred quid, um, starters fee for the glass. Um, and so what you could do is you could allow the mold to grow in these long flat receptacles, and then you could also renew the broth beneath and leave the mold at the top. Now, how they got the mold out, I don't know. I'm not sure if the lids come off. It doesn't look like they do. Yeah. Maybe they do. I'm not sure. Um, But basically you could kind of, because of this uh, sort of fluted spout, you could put the, put more broth in as it was getting used up and Mm. then the, you know, continue growing the penicillin on top. Um, He goes up, he, he grabs the prototype, brings it down, tests it. It's brilliant. So he orders 400 of them. Oh. And then he does, bless him, two trips up to up to uh, the potteries in his van, oh. on it, you know, himself. Yeah, yeah. All the team up in the potteries, pack them all carefully in straw. And they're stackable, crucially, they're stackable uh, okay. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he takes them back down to Oxford and essentially turns the lab into a penicillin factory. And this is what I love about scientists they don't care what day of the, of the year it is if they've got a medical breakthrough or a scientific breakthrough they're going for it yep. so christmas eve and christmas day are spent preparing <laughs> them packing them with with um uh the broth and mold spores yeah. and things like that and by february of the following year there was enough for human trials to begin and they needed more people to start farming the uh, penicillin yeah so now we get to the penicillin girls Ooh-hoo! now this I'm, I'm just going to tell you about them. This is the entirety that I managed to find on them. Six women yep. uh, were recruited. They were all locals. Uh, some of them were as young as 16, 17. And they they were nicknamed the Penicillin Girls. Their names were Ruth Callow, Betty Cook, Peggy Gardner, Megan Lancaster, Patricia McKegney, and interestingly, Claire Inayat. Uh-huh. Now, I say interestingly, because on Monday, we went to a talk about Nor Inayat Khan yeah. and her sister was called claire oh as far as i'm aware it's not the same one oh oh but i just thought that that was quite an interesting yeah yeah anyway Hmm. um they were paid two pounds a week which in current money is about 110 pounds um together they looked after the fermentation of the mold juice and there's pictures of them wearing essentially kind of hazmat well not quite hazmat but you know ppe type stuff and together they farmed the broth and the penicillin and that's literally all the information i have about good That's all there well, is. Well, I'm glad that Which... wasn't the entire pod then on them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it also strikes me as interesting that, that a couple of them have got their um, portraits in the National Portrait yes. Gallery. Yes. Yeah. Unless I read it wrong and I, it, it, maybe it wasn't one of them and I just read Penicillin Girls on. I'm going I'm, uh, That were referred I'm, to somewhere. I'm there I on Saturday. I'm going to go back and look. Have a I'll look have for a me. Yep. Fabulous. Thank you. So, 1941, we have enough for a human trial. I think we, like, I'm doing anything here. Um, <laughs> the first person they trialled on was an Oxford policeman called Albert Alexander, and he had uh, septicemia. And just to go, goes to show how uh, difficult things could be, he'd, uh, he'd contracted it while pruning roses. He'd scratched the side of his cheek, and that had developed into septicemia. Ah. So, they start giving him 
penicillin. Yeah. And within 24 hours, he has drastically improved. Yeah. And they start treating a couple of other people as well. One young boy called Arthur Jones, who was mm-hmm. desperately ill with septicemia too. Um, but because they were treating other people, oh. uh, supply ran out. And they didn't yet know about the doses and the importance of finishing a course of antibiotics as we would have it right. today. And all they could do was watch as Albert Alexander basically got worse and eventually died. Oh, no. Really sad. Oh. Yeah. Um, but four more people had been treated. And for all of those people, the four people plus Albert Alexander, they had used a total of four million units of penicillin. Right. Now, to put this in context... Four million units is what would be given to just one person today in a 24-hour period. Oh. So the doses they're giving them are really, really small. So tiny, yes, tiny, tiny. it's going to help, but yeah. it's not going to cure them unless they would have a full dose as to what we were, um, what we're used to today. But what okay. they did realise, and they, this is how they tried to kind of get around that problem, is they, they realised that about 80% of a dose of penicillin is excreted from our bodies in urine. So they <laughs> basically went round to collect the urine from the patients. It's the bedpans again. It is the bedpans back, again. Back to the bedpans. bedpans are the MVP in this story. Yeah. Um, involved in this is a lady called Dr. Ethel Flory, who wife uh, name would suggest is, is wife to Howard Flory. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout the whole project, she's actually, she's quite key. She's... Um, involved in it very very heavily she supervises clinical trials in the Radcliffe infirmary at a variety of military hospitals and and this sort of thing um also funnily working there at the same time was Howard Florey's mistress and also his research assistant a lady called Margaret Jennings oh so that must have been an interesting um okay interesting time yes um Although later on, when uh, Ethel dies, Margaret and um, Howard do marry. So, you know, oh, whatever. okay, well, um, but Ethel during this time was seen on what was referred to as pee patrol. Um, which basically, she got on a bike and she cycled round to the hospitals to collect the pee from the patients. Okay, and yeah. one of the nurses does remember her cycling to the side door uh, of the hospital to collect this massive bottle uh, filled with the patient's urine. And as she's cycling away, kind of wobbling with the bottle in one hand, she yells back, oh, nurse, I do hope I don't have a tumble. <laughs> Bless her. Bless her. Oh. And one of the, so what they would then do is they'd take the urine in and then they would uh, distill it. Oh, oh, isolate it. That's the word. Isolate it. Um, isolate the penicillin out of the, the urine. And there is still a penicillin sample believed to have been isolated from the urine of a patient, one of the, these earliest ones in the Dunn School of Pathology in Oxford Science Museum. So if you are there, want to have, have a look. I, believe, I don't know if it's on show or if it's in the archive, but have a little look. Anyway, so by this point, war has started and Flory realises the impact that penicillin could have in a war because, of course, a lot of the people dying in war is not just from getting blown up or shot. It's, it's from infections yeah. on the battlefield. And so he says, right, well, we need to improve production. We need to, you know, mass mass produce this. Uh, they were worried about it getting in the hands of the enemy. And I have to say, I don't know whether or not um, the enemy had access to penicillin in the Second World War. I didn't think no. to look into that. Yeah. Um, if anyone knows, let us know. But I, I, I don't know. They're, one thing they don't do is they don't patent it. Um, right. Ethically, they say... This we, we can't patent it. Yeah. Ethically, no. Um, which is really rather interesting because yes. in theory you could just go, Yeah, we've found this wonder drug, we're now gonna make millions from it, and we're going to limit the supply to the people we want to have it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they're like, No, 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 this 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 is for the greater good. This has to which makes me always want to go, the greater good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um Okay. If anyone <laughs> Do you not know that? I don't know that. Oh, from um uh Hot Fuzz. Ah, the, uh, the yeah. trilogy. Anyway, okay, yep. Very niche reference, people. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So they they say, look, we we we're not going to gatekeep this, uh, which is what the kids say today. Yes. Well, again, bravo to them for that. Because yeah, again, absolutely. could easily have been whisked mm. off into big pharma kind of. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So they decide that they have to. So they, they actually they go to several British companies and say, look. We need to up production. Are you interested in doing this? Can you do this? Um, and 
companies are either unwilling or unable to help in that. They do approach the Welcome Collection, which we've done a podcast mm-hmm. on, um, but they're already stretched to the max. They're producing vaccines and other drugs which have already been tested and been put to being put to use. Yeah. And they're just like, we haven't got the bandwidth. We can't do that, I'm afraid. So they go somewhere which does have the bandwidth. Um, where can they go that has the bandwidth? Oh, is it someone, someone who's not doing what they? I, I want to say brewers, but doesn't I don't. Somebody who's not doing something because they're doing because the war. Uh, uh, well, I, I'm going to go bigger than that and say somebody who's not even in the war yet. Ah, okay, um, America, America, Hello, America. Yay. Come on down, America! It's your turn in the, in the spotlight. <laughs> um, so they head off to America in secret, I should say. Yeah. Um, and they take samples of the mold with them, and they head to Illinois to a place called Peoria. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Peoria. Peoria. Peoria, which is slap bang in the middle of the Corn Belt, and this is very handy because during the Depression. A lab had been set up there to find ways to use agricultural waste. Mm-hmm. And they had learned an awful lot about mold and microbes and how to form them and grow them and all of this. So Florian Heatley share their knowledge. Um, they need to produce thousands of kilos of penicillin for allied troops. And they meet with a whole heap of companies here. And the company that takes on the mantle is Merck and Company, who I do believe is still going. Um, once they've sorted it all out, who's going to do it? Flory returns to the UK and Heatley remains in the USA for a few months, basically to oversee setting up the system. Yeah. Um, he apparently doesn't get on with the guy who's in charge of it. So it's a bit, a bit of a testy atmosphere. But anyway, um, and what they do is they test molds from all over the world to find the best one uh-huh. able to mass produce um, penicillin because different molds produce different strains and this, that and the other, I think. Anyway. Yeah, oh, she's going to the side. Back off, back off. Um, they do find the strain or the the, the penicillin, the mold there. They're after on an old melon. Interesting. Ah. Um, although I think his wife later refers to it as a grapefruit. So I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> because they're in the USA, there are also humans in the USA who yeah. might need penicillin. Um, fun fact: didn't know if you know that. And they. The first person in the USA to be treated with penicillin was a lady called Anne Miller, who was 33 years old. She had a streptococcal infection and her doctor, who goes by the brilliant name of Dr. John Bumstead. Oh, he I know. right? He (laughs) would love a bum bum gag. Um, He knew there was a new drug being tested and he also uh, happened to kind of know the people who were involved in it. So he goes to them and and begs for a small amount to try on her. He says, look, she's she's dying of streptococcal infection we haven't got anything to lose. Um, so they give her, um, he, he's like, yeah, fine. So he gives them some of the penicillin that they're harvesting and she immediately starts getting better. Um, and her doctor wants to decrease the dose, but Heatley remembers back to Albert Alexander uh, and says, oh, uh, I don't want to finish too early. And he decides to keep giving her the meds. But every day they went through this little ritual, which is really rather cute uh, because Heatley is not a doctor. No. Right? He's a scientist. And they would talk about Anne every day and, um, Bumstead would, would update him on what was going on and he'd ask his advice and Heatley would always say I'm not medically qualified I can't ethically advise Bumstead would then say what would Professor Flory advise and Heatley would say carry on <laughs> so, <laughs> so they kept giving Anne um, the penicillin now I, d- yep. I don't know how long for um, but uh, and, and I guess that the question is when? how do they know when to stop but yeah. my theory is trial and error but you've also got plenty on hand now so it's not an issue if you stop a bit early and need to go back on it i guess that's true yeah because with Albert alexander they ran they ran out um yeah whereas here they're not going to it sounds as if as well if we're getting much bigger doses these days that mm. they're they're maybe giving us enough so that if people do kind of stop early as well it, it yeah you're getting a hefty hammer yeah. blow of it anyway but don't so, stop early no don't stop early and and don't feed don't it worry. to cows also, <laughs> don't, what what <laughs> why are you feeding your penicillin to cows no no in the sense of of when like if animal feed has antibiotics in it routinely then we'll oh. all get we'll all get immune and it won't work oh, i had images of you heading down to the fields with a handful of penicillin <laughs> force feeding the cows there sorry no 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 on? just just general terms <laughs> We shouldn't. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But also, I think, you know, 
when we think about the, you said about the quantities, I and mean, if you think that um, what we're being given now in one day is what they treated four people with for the entire thing, yeah. I think all the more reason not to not to overblow doses because well yeah over, overdo it but also not skip your doses because they've clearly gone well, that's not enough yeah um anyway now Anne yes oh. does die oh oh but right she dies in 1999 at the age Yay! of 90 Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so she was completely cured by penicillin excellent <laughs> so she went from 33 to 90 yes which is i mean what what a what an amazing thing yeah what an incredible thing. Um, so back in the UK, Flory has come back to kind of carry on testing and researching. Yep. And he's still producing the mould on, again, whatever old rusty old crap he can find, and still biscuit tins and stuff. And he's making enough to keep testing it. And by 1943, he'd got enough to go out to Africa and test it on war wounds. And the, obviously, which is what they had in mind when they first created it. Um, and the results were incredible. Yep. And it is hailed as a new miracle cure. Now, by this point, Flory is getting a little bit peeved about the credit that Fleming is getting. Uh. Now, the reason for this is that when Flory's team made this discovery that they could turn it into something and, and use it, of course, you know, press impact was was huge. Yeah. Um, and Fleming, of course, had been credited with the discovery of it. And Fleming was basically like, yeah, come to my lab, come and see everything, <laughs> by all means. Yeah. But Flory really hated any publicity. Uh, and he basically said, don't, no, we're not doing any interviews, you're not coming to have a look, none of that. Because he also feared that, firstly, they'd, you know, get sidetracked, but also that if people knew that he and Heatley and the other team members were were producing this that there'd be get just so many requests from people who had um family members who were dying uh, okay. or, or who were seriously yeah, ill yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that they would just be swamped and they and he knew that they didn't have the quantities yeah. yet to do anything with yeah. it um or anything effective on, on a grand scale so he, he didn't want that um and in fact later on norman heatley's widow mercy um has, says this to the papers that this is part of his obituary, I think. Uh, my husband was particularly good at extracting penicillin from things. I think it seemed to grow best on grapefruit or melon. I feel sad Fleming is always named as the discoverer. I think what happened was he was always happy to talk to the press, whereas Flory wasn't keen to talk to them and have his team disrupted, which is why Fleming received all the publicity. Ah, there you go. Because he was, wasn't was doing anything. He had time to get, time to well, quite. pick himself up. Absolutely. And he, you know, he basically just yeah the, the the cabinet minister at the time lord beaverbrook was kind of like hey this fleming guy he's done it he's done it and so uh, fleming's like yeah brilliant bring you know it what? on so yeah i guess as well they probably want like the press wanted the good news story so it probably did get kind of purposely yeah. yay and, yeah. and the all new it's, new technology in the war sort of story yeah, yeah. it's mid-war of course yeah. isn't it so yeah you need all the good news you can get really um now we uh, so when Pen yeah, obviously, as we know, and I, I haven't really gone into the details of how it was then sort of mass marketed and distributed and all of that, but it's safe to say as soon as they were producing it in, in great enough numbers, it was taken immediately out to the battlefields and then, as we know, put um to the to you know for the greater public. Um and in nineteen forty five, Alexander Fleming is awarded the Nobel Prize for Medicine. He acknowledges Nature makes penicillin. I just discovered it. Uh, and he shares that Nobel Prize with Ernst Chain and Alexander Fleming. But it takes 50 years for Heatley's contribution to be recognised. Oh, well, and there's with, always someone without his behind sort of, the scenes, isn't it? There is, there is. Um, I mean, there's lots of people behind yeah. the scenes as well. Um, and, um, but I think, you know, he, he, I think, without his ingeniousness, that w it would never have happened. Yeah, you know, it, it just wouldn't have happened. And so the the discovery that um, they made would have been for nothing, yeah. really. And I mean, that's what's always amazing about science is that there's so many dead ends and so many bits where things don't work, and yeah. people could kind of shrug and go, "Oh, I'll do something else." And pe like even yeah. even Newton did worked out gravity because he spent three years doing the maths. And you could easily just go, oh, no, mm. I don't think about it. Yeah. Stuff it. 
and, and so to. many so much stuff could just easily not happen so when it does yeah. it's even more miraculous somehow you absolutely know. absolutely um now so Healy isn't completely well he has now been recognized and um in 1991 okay. uh, he died in 2004 gosh yeah um so actually relatively recently well 20 years ago now but still um when this feels like such a kind of historic long time ago thing, it's, it's it always amazes me that um, how sort of recent it is. Um, in 1991, he was awarded an honorary doctorate of medicine from Oxford university. Mm-hmm. He's one of only two such doctorates to be awarded to non-medical people in the university's history, oh. which is very interesting. There's also now an, uh, a Heatley lecture at Oxford, an annual one and a scholarship in his name too. And, I'm just going to read you from his obituary because I think this really, when you said about Heath Robinson and and making stuff everywhere, this quote from his obituary, I think really sums up that, that part of his uh, personality described by one of his friends as a generous Puritan. Heatley could never bring himself to throw anything away. Even in his last decade, as his health and memory faded, he never lost his inventive flair. He delighted in making wonderfully delicate miniature furniture from birds' quills, and after an operation, he insisted on bringing home from hospital the plastic drip containers, <laughs> cutting them down to make food containers for the fridge. Isn't that just wonderful? That's Absolutely fabulous. wonderful. Um, generous Puritan. That's a phrase? Whoa. Yeah. And I don't really know what that's referring to. No. If it's the fact that he just didn't really throw anything away and therefore... You know, make doing men made use of everything. I don't. I don't know. If it's maybe that. Maybe there's a sort of but focus, it, like you know, single-minded focusness that I sort of associate with the Puritans. Maybe I don't know. Hmm. Maybe I don't know, but I think also he seems to have been a really lovely, genial yeah. chap. Um, well, I actually, I say that I did read one thing that he was a bit sort of a bit maybe a bit terse, but um, <laughs> all of his friends, you know, talk very highly of him. Um, but talking about the team as well, there, there are other people. I know there's one lady I I, I was go- thinking about including in this, but I mostly didn't because she basically I don't understand what she did. <laughs> I don't understand the science. <laughs> um, she seems to have been uh, quite an important part of the process, but not not this process, slightly tangential process. Um, okay. Her name was um, Dorothy Crowfoot Hodgkin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to read you what it was that she did, but I don't, I don't understand. My brain doesn't compute this. So um, right. she actually was a Nobel Prize winning um, chemist. I think she's the only British woman to win the Nobel Prize, or something like that. Anyway, um, I'll, let me double check the details on that. Um, yeah. She advanced the technique of X-ray crystallography to determine the structure of biomolecules, which became essential for structural biology. And that was important with the penicillin as well. But I, I she oh, discovered okay. the structure of penicillin and insulin. She, uh-huh. she was the third woman to win a Nobel Prize. Right. And I think the only British woman ever to win a Nobel Prize. Which is yeah. very interesting. So I was going to include her, but mostly because I can't, I don't understand what it was she was doing. Yeah. But I want to, I want to kind of, you know, put her in here as well yes. um, as a very interesting lady. So, um, okay. Yeah. So there we go. Well, um, so I think this, that's pretty much. Yes, I was going to say quite a bit of that seems to have sort of parallels with kind of the the race for the vaccines for for COVID vaccines for COVID. Mm. in a way, you know, yeah. needing needing stuff in a national emergency or an international yeah. emergency, and and also the decision to not um, not copyright patent. it and things yeah. patent it, yeah, and also being in Oxford, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, well. and and that thing about we want to start using it, but we've got to test it. But we want to start using it, we've got to test it. All yeah, that, that debate kind of. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, I think you know that. I think it's a it's a very it speaks very much of of character when somebody makes a huge important discovery like this and decides not to sort of lean into the, I guess the capitalist mindset that we mostly have and go oh, i can make money from this yeah. and they just go no you know what this is this is this is big. bigger than than yeah than all yeah. that yes because a lot of people wouldn't do that let's face it a lot of people would go you know ka-ching this is my this is my payout yeah um, and if you've you know if you've struggled and worked and worked and struggled for years and 
you know probably not been very well funded while you're doing that or whatever it's mm. i mean it's 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 why you've got to fund you know science and laboratories and things because you never know where yeah, things are going to come from absolutely so as we have a little bit more information to add to Flory's plaque in Westminster Abbey now yes um so he's buried in Oxford uh-huh as is Heatley yep. um although I think he I think Heatley's buried in a village near Oxford rather than in Oxford itself and Alexander Fleming is he's, I believe buried in St Paul's Cathedral he's, his, his he's, plaque is definitely got, there and definitely I'm pretty sure he's in the ground yeah yeah okay and that would make him quite close if he's actually buried there I mean, his, certainly his plaque is close to Florence Nightingale, who's not there, but her plaque, mm-hmm. she's got. Plaque. And yep. that, again, is that feeling of the baton of knowledge and the like sh- she was doing a similar thing about stopping infections. Yeah. But on a on a, you know, windows and physical kind of big, much bigger scale in a way. Yeah. Washing hands and washing not being drunk hand. on yeah. duty and all that. Yeah. Um, ah. So it's very, it's very, I, I, I'm surprised how interesting I found it, actually. And I think having gone down the line of, oh, penicillin girls, that sounds like a, 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 a group I can get behind. Um, I then found, you know, that this fantastic story, which I think just really speaks to ingenuity. And, and I don't know if it would have been as amazing a story if it hadn't been in wartime, maybe it would have been, I don't know. Um, because so, maybe they would have had access to more stuff if it hadn't been, but maybe not. Or, maybe, uh, maybe, I mean, also, maybe it would always, have maybe been they way. would have taken longer to do it but but because of the war there was more and yeah i mean that's always seems one of the things about penicillin is the contrast between the first and second world wars but actually i hadn't i hadn't realized it was so late in the war that it was actually kind of running so nor did i i I just sort of had it in my head that it was 40s ish but i thought it was kind of at the start of the second world war we went into it with this but no i mean 44 really is the yeah is the time when it, it starts getting used um and I just, yeah, I I just found it a fascinating story. And Norman Heatley, I, I think, is really, really interesting. I think you should definitely go and scratch his name onto Flory's plaque in Westminster Abbey with your penknife. I'll, I'll distract. <laughs> I'll distract the stewards. You can do yeah. a bit of carving. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, anyway, to get kicked out of Westminster Abbey, that, that'll do it. Um, yeah. But is, it, is there anyone else in Scientist's Corner in the Abbey who's linked to Flory and the penicillin discovery? I don't know that there is. Don't think so. No, no. Uh, there is a plaque on in in Oxford on Norman Heatley's old home. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So there is a blue plaque there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he has he has been honoured, but he didn't get a Nobel Prize, which I I have I an image now. Of... Split a Nobel Prize between, to be honest. Um, I have an image of walking down the street and like a row of terrace houses, and then you'd get to his, and he would have the plaque, but it would also have like an enormous TV aerial and a and some sort of contraption coming out the wind, like exactly like a Heath Robinson. <laughs> like Craig Pots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fabulous because I, okay. uh, you know, obviously. I know a bit about, and I you sort of knew the bare bones of the story, but but none of that detail at all. And that's fabulous. It really fleshes out, um, mm. yeah, fascinating story. I, just, I love the idea of this lab just filled with, you know, <laughs> rusty tins and bedpans and just this, yeah, almost in in your mind they look like crackpot inventors, don't they? Kind of, you know, running around in white coats and just going, oh, this one's good, and, oh, yeah. and it, which of course is incredibly reductive, but it's that sort of movie view of it isn't it yeah but, um, and but just the focus go well yeah. we need a pelt this size oh that'll do and you just start using it it doesn't doesn't matter whether it was a biscuit I mean, tin or a bedpan yeah. or whatever exactly yeah bathtubs the lot yeah so there we go hey that's penicillin fabulous so next time you're all taking your antibiotics for whatever random scrape you've got yourself into tip your hat to the uh norman heatley and ernst chain and Baron Flory and... And finish the course. All of that. Don't give them to the cows. Finish the course. Don't give them to the cows. <laughs> if you take one thing away from this today, don't give your antibiotics to the cows. There we go. There we go. Splendid. Right, Thank well, you. any uh, any parish notices before we I depart? I don't think so. And the blog, yeah, did, did we say this at the beginning? I've forgotten now. I'm losing track. The, 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 the blog, blog will catch up soon. I think we mentioned that. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so as ever we're a little behind with the admin but we'll you know we're getting there we'll get there yeah we'll get there we've got stuff on haven't we yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> right see you next week lovelies okay. thank you for popping along have a great week we'll see you then yeah bye bye, bye.